The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Grandfather, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to see you too, my son. My heart soars like a hawk. Do you want to eat? I won't eat with you because I'm going to die soon. Die, Grandfather? Yes, my son. I want to die in my own land where human beings are buried in the sky. Why do you want to die, Grandfather? Because there's no other way to deal with a white man, my son. Whatever else you can say about them, it must be admitted. You cannot get rid of them. No, I suppose not, Grandfather. There is an endless supply of white men. But there always has been a limited number of human beings. We won today. We won't win tomorrow. Good morning, London. It's Thursday, November 14th, 2013. I'm Bob Mitt. And I'm Mary Lou Ambrosio. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now till noon. No, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And today's show is going to be an unusual one, to say the least. We've got a room full of people here today with us, and including Mary Lou and myself, we've got Mark Vandermas and Gary McHale, author of the book Victory in the No-Go Zone. Apparently you're going to be in town tonight for a book signing. Is that right, Gary? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, I'll be at the uh, Chapters uh, Bookstore at uh, Wellington from 4 to 6 to uh, sign books. Correct, and that's at 1037 Wellington Road today between 4 and 6 p.m. great time just around the supper time when people drop by on their home for work you know on the way home from work rather and uh, I think it'd be a great opportunity to get all the details that you're only going to hear the tip of the iceberg right mm -hmm. now is Mary Lou I know when you started highlighting stuff in Gary's book that you wanted to bring up you found yourself highlighting the whole pretty book. much the whole book <laughs> lots of relevant material that's right so I guess the first place to start is, what led up to this book? I know a lot of our listeners might not even know what the no-go zone is. They might not even know about the Caledonia situation, though I know some of them are familiar. Is What's the briefest recap you can give us for someone who may never have met you, never understood what the situation's about, just to, to well, give us that, you know? In the small town of Caledonia in February of 2006, you had uh, four or five native protesters show up at a subdivision and quickly shut it down. The OPP refused to do anything about these trespassers, and then, then you got uh, Mohawk warriors coming in from New York State, from uh, Quebec, from people from B.C. So this small little protest that could have been solved quickly turned into a major protest. Uh, within the first uh, four or five months, uh, 60 OPP officers were put in the hospital. They, they firebombed the power station there. They dug up the highway. Residents actually had to uh, produce uh, native issues passports to travel 
around town uh, because the natives had created all these checkpoints and wouldn't let you pass unless you had these passports. And the police allowed this to go on and on, and it escalated even further. Uh, two police officers were kidnapped. Their car was uh, destroyed. Uh, there was a, a U.S. Uh, ATF agent in Caledonia uh, in June 9th of 2006. They uh, swarmed his vehicle. They put a knife to his throat. Uh, there's only about four or five natives at that place, but there was, and there were several, several officers, and yet the OPP did nothing, even in that situation where they held a knife to a foreign government's agent, and they allowed the natives to steal the van and drive through the OPP checkpoint without even stopping them. And the vast majority of the crimes that were committed in Caledonia were never, never, no charges were laid. And so I finally got involved because the Toronto media was simply refusing to report the violence. It was all about, uh, you know, poor natives uh, have been abused in the past, so they have a right to, I guess, put officers and everybody else in a hospital. And they burnt down the so, power. So you're saying there were actually 60 OPP police officers put in the hospital over a confrontation of some sort? Uh, over, over several months. That's yeah. the OPP's own number. Okay. And so... Uh, uh, you know, the, uh, they held, uh, they pulled out guns on the fire department every time they showed up to put out fires. Uh, There's a lot of things, a lot of serious, serious violence going on. And of course, McGinty and the, the OPP went around saying, well, we're here just to keep the peace. Well, it was kind of too late when you got so many officers in the, in the hospital. And so when I got involved, I just wanted to expose and, and show the photos and, and the videos of what really was going on because the Toronto media was avoiding it like a plague. And even a year later, in September of 2007, which is 18 months after it started, the OPP are running around saying it's peaceful, but uh, Sam Galtieri was attacked. Uh, they, they beat him over the head so severely they cracked his skull, and he's now got permanent brain damage and uh, can't work. And just to remind everybody, Sam Galtieri was a man who was building a home for his daughter? Was yeah, he was building a home for his daughter in a different subdivision, actually, in Caledonia. So not the one under dispute? Not in the one under dispute at all. And, and even on the issue of dispute, the Ontario Court of Appeal has answered this question back in uh, 73 when they uh, ruled, and it's now binding in all courts in Ontario, that Six Nations has absolutely no claim over land. And mm -hmm. so there's been over a dozen courts since then that who've all said the same thing because it's binding. So what you have is you have a bunch of protesters who, who know they can't win in court, so they use violence to get their way. Well, now, here's a point, too, Gary. Um, when you mentioned the passports, it's funny. I know this story, and I know about those, but suddenly something jumped out at me because of things that have happened recently. You know this notion that they're a nation. Was that the beginning of this kind of asserting that, that idea that they were a nation, one that could issue passports, etc.? Well, that whole idea that their nations have been going on now for the past 30 years, you got every politician running around using the phrase. Right. Of course, the politicians don't mean it as an independent nation within Canada. But they do. But they do, and the politicians know they do. And so they use the same terms because that way it works in, in the media, because the media loves that phrase too. Mm -hmm. But you got to ask, what's the implication? If we're going right. to have, uh, let's say, 3,000 different nations inside Canada... Yeah. Uh, are you going to be driving down the 401 and all of a sudden have a different set of laws every yeah. 200, 200 <laughs> miles? Like, no one answers those practical questions, but that really is what we're boiling down to. Is this book really about natives, or is it about the OPP, or is it about the government, or a bit of all three? Uh, well, I, I've never 
focus a lot on the natives at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, the focus, in my view, the the issue has never been uh, how much violence there was, because there's violence in every community. If you go Mm -hmm. downtown Toronto or Jane and Finch in Toronto, you got violence. The only thing that made Caledonia different than any other place is that the OPP would stand by and watch serious crimes. That wouldn't happen in Toronto. It wouldn't happen in other communities. So, in my view, the issue Mm -hmm. has always been the response by OPP senior brass and by the McGinty government to real violence. And the response was, well, we're going to kind of approve it because OPP officers would not only watch crimes be committed, but as the book reveals, we were able to get five different OPP officers criminally charged, and t- including the previous commissioner, Julian Fantino, and the current commissioner, Chris mm-hmm. Lewis, because the OPP actually engage in criminal activity as a way of covering up for what the natives are doing. Well, it's bizarre, yeah, because they actually they, they do even more than appease them. Uh, they give them all kinds of carrots. To get them to stop. Well, you guys abs- have only gotten sticks, right? Just Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I've, been arre- I've been arrested nine times and uh, been sued by the OPP, you know. Uh, but uh, they, don't, they don't do anything to uh, pay attention to our charter yeah. rights. Yeah. But everything's done to appease the, the native protesters. I, I think the, um, you know, you asked what the book is about. The book is, is an, I think for me, is, is uh, it really says it all in the last chapter, I think. Um, in that, it's a book of hope. It's a, it's a story, yes, of OPP corruption. It's a story of how, but really it's a story of about a handful, how a handful of woefully unqualified mm-hmm. Canadian patriots um, decided to risk everything they had. I mean, whether, you know, uh, uh, their their lives, their their financial well-being, their reputations, even their freedom, um, to stand up against racial policing, uh, to restore the rule of law, to completely change the narrative. I think that's, I, I think... We want, we want to deal with that. We're going to we deal with that. Close out, out the but show the, to see This book is about at. hope, I Excellent. think, uh, yeah. Bob, and it's about how yeah. ordinary people can I was going to say, Mark, Mark is, re- uh, is referred to in the book by uh, Gary as one of the single hardest worker for justice in Ontario, and I would have to agree with that. <laughs> um, you know, Mark, the night you first took me to meet t- took me to meet Gary and Christine, I recall that night because I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. I couldn't believe wh- what I was hearing, but at the same time, Gary and Christine made it so funny. Now, one of the... Th- I'm, so, I'm so pleased you wrote a book. Um, because I think I said to you that night, you need to write a book. This is hilarious. You are an expert at getting under their skin. Well, Gary is Gary. If Gary does one thing well, he is a counter propaganda genius, and he is a tactical <laughs> genius. He knows exactly how. And I've worked with him for seven years. I've been to jail with him five times now, as have a number of other people. But what he is so brilliant at is mounting counter propaganda operations, yeah. following the steps. To, you know, following the steps of foot, footsteps of Martin Luther King jr which is clearly in the book but he is brilliant at that he knows how to take advantage of every negative um uh thing that is thrown our way by the bullies who try to silence it whether it's mm-hmm. the ontario government or it's julian fantino um i mean he's he, and he, he'll tell you but he used to you know i remember one letter that he wrote to julian fantino dear mr fantino we're holding a protest uh for the victims of caledonia before the next election we really 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 need your help to help us get uh you know media attention and, See, uh, this and is just why egging on the bullies carrots, <laughs> you know well, because it's one thing to get under their skin it also makes them sloppy doesn't it because they're so upset then they're not as careful no if i'm not 
mistaken, I understand we're joined on the line now um, by someone you might know. Hello, Christine. This is Christine McHale. I think that's someone you know. (laughs) Hi, Christine. Sorry you couldn't be with us in the studio today. Oh, hey, listen, that's okay. I've got some car problems, so I have to babysit the mechanical end of things. There you go. Hey, you know, I'm looking at the cover of this book, and they told me you took this picture. Yeah, is I it, did. You know, it looks like something out of Star Wars, to be honest <laughs> with you. I'm looking, I'm, I'm seeing all the, uh, you know, all those guys in their suits, mm-hmm. what did they call them? <laughs> uh, you know, it almost looks like a science fiction picture, really. Yeah, well, you know, you so I guess you're thinking of the uh, those uh, stormtroopers yes. on Star Wars. Or the that's, black, what the, that's the word I was looking black for. Helmet that, yeah. You know, there's an interesting story behind that picture, because when we got involved in Caledonia, um, we started, one of the things that I did was I did photography. I mean, we literally have tens of thousands of photos. And you would think that somewhere in those tens of thousands of photos, we would have had a picture of the OPP in what they call full tack, which is the full riot gear, the, the helmets, the face shields, and all that. We couldn't find a single one, not one. Because by the time we got involved, the OPP had been instructed uh, not to wear the, you know, the, the full riot gear when uh-huh. they were out trying to deal with the natives because apparently it upset the natives. <laughs> and, and this is one of the complaints that, that the OPP police officers um, leveled at, at the uh, Ontario Provincial Police Association at, at OPPA, the, Carl Walsh, who was then the, the head of the OPPA, because they really felt that they were vulnerable when they were out there without their full tack. All right. So, you know, the picture was actually taken in, in uh, I believe it was January of uh, 07. Um, it was on a private property in Caledonia. It was freezing cold outside, and we were all standing around trying to warm ourselves up. I think somebody had built a little bonfire, and somebody had ordered a couple urns of coffee from Tim Hortons down the road, and we had a couple of these little fold-out chairs right in the snow there. There was boxes of Timbits on it, so, you know, there's your picture. So we're standing there munching on Timbits, drinking coffee, just trying to stay warm, and two black vans pull in, and the property next door, uh, and I'm sort of standing on my back to them, and I kind of glanced over thinking, oh, oh, you know, okay, what's going on here? The doors slide open on the vans, and out pour all these police officers in full riot gear, and they line up right on the edge of the driveway where they pulled in, which is right on the edge of the property we were standing on, and there they are, standing there, hmm. full riot gear, batons, shields, everything. That must have been a bit intimidating. <laughs> Yeah, it was, but I thought to myself, you know, what's wrong with this picture? I mean, all we're doing is eating Timbits, drinking coffee, trying to stay warm, and there's this two-van loaded police Eating Timbits in Canada certainly isn't against the law. Well, they were. That's not the last time I heard, no. They turned out to be London police officers. Wow. And I'm from London, so I went up and talked to them. I was wearing my blue beret, so I went over to talk to them. I explained to them what was going on. And it wasn't long after that that, uh, they decided to leave. And Christine got this great picture of them. That's amazing. Well, yeah, so, so these are London over, police yeah. officers. Yes, right? they are. London, London police officers. Yeah. So I go over, like I'm starting to take pictures of that, and they must have thought, you know, this is just not the kind of photo op we want. <laughs> now, Chris, were, sorry, go ahead. The they got back into their vans. They left. Just poof, gone. And, and never came back. Good. Never came back. Now, yeah. Christine, um, I wanted to ask you, what was your reaction to Gary being sued for $7.1 million? Uh, well, that must that have been... Yeah, that was fun. That that was more fun than humans should be allowed to have. 
<laughs> we get a phone call from our lawyer. And I guess he informed Gary. They were talking on the phone. And, and he asked Gary, you know, have you told your wife? And Gary said no. And he says, well, would you like me to tell her? He says, sure. Pass the phone over. So John Finley, that's the lawyer, he gets on the phone. And he tells me. And it, it went right over my head. It was like, you yeah, know, okay, I heard the words, but it didn't really register. And the day kind of went on. It wasn't until that evening. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh. I went into our bedroom, shut the door, and I sat on the floor, and I cried for an hour. I mean, I just bawled my eyes out for an hour. I'm thinking, like, how the heck are we going to handle this? $7.1 million, you know? Yeah. I walked out of the bedroom, and, you know, the, the thought just kind of came to me. It might as well be $7.1 billion with a That's right. We're never going to have that kind of money, you know. I mean, we could roll our pennies, nickels, and dimes all we want, just never going to get to that. Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you, it was so liberating. Yeah. And, and I met Carl Walsh again, the head of the OPPA, uh, at uh, Christy Blatchford's book launch in Toronto. I never met the guy before, didn't even know what he looked like, but I heard he was going to be there. So I, I said to Gary, I said, Gary, you know, when Carl Walsh walks in, could you introduce me to him? Because I'd like to say something to him. So, you know, Carl Walsh walks in, Gary introduces me. And I walked up to him and I said, you know, Mr. Walsh, I want to thank you. And he looks at me and I said, I want to thank you for that $7.1 million lawsuit against Gary. And he's probably thinking, okay, lady, you know, what have you been drinking, right? I said, you know, that was the most liberating thing that happened, because after that, anyone else that threatens to sue us, we just tell them, okay, get in line. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. That's great. You know, it's, it, it's um, in, in the front of the book that Gary, the, the copy I have, uh, Gary wrote, you know, the price of freedom, you know, it, freedom isn't free. And mm -hmm. a lot of people pay this price. We're going to listen in now on the next audio bite. Uh, would you say Ezra Levant is one of those people who's paying a price like that? Because he seems oh, absolutely. To he stands yeah, up for freedom, absolutely. and they they target him all the well, time. Well, let's listen in on this, and you can tell me how familiar this experience may seem to yourselves. We'll be back after a moment. I don't. I don't want to leave okay, well, the, what, the, the area what, here. I know, but what we're trying to do here is create this to a little more safer environment. Right. Clearly, whatever. But you why would you take me away? Because my hands because, are in my pocket, okay, so I'm not shouting right. at anyone. How come I'm clearly, being taken away? Clearly, you're engagement with the people here mm -hmm. that are protesting. Is, I'm the lawful one though, aren't I? I, well, I think at this moment, everyone is lawful. Okay. But what's happening here, clearly, you're agitating a lot of people. There are a lot of people upset with you. So you if, I got more, if I got more upset, would you take them away? Um, well, you are one. And that makes it easier for you. Absolutely. So this is about what's easy for you. Well, it's easier for society, right? We want to. We all want to. Well, it's get not easier for our fr my freedom of speech, though, is well, it? No, it isn't. But when you're going to aggravate a group of people like that, we're, so gonna, we're, we're gonna giving. So we're giving a veto to the to the angry no, no, people. To my mouth. We're going to ask you politely mm. to just move on. Mm. Have your and if I don't, will you arrest me? Have your ways of speaking, but not aggravate a hundred people. <laughs> will you arrest me if I don't? Is that what you're choosing? You're no, choosing I'm, to stay here and aggravate these people? I'm asking you, sir. Is this what you're choosing? <sighs> you know what? I'm putting it back to you, sir. Let's let's all think with a clear head. You're aggravating a lot of people. It's getting very heated, and well, then that becomes a problem the for us. that's not the test. It's not against the, the lot to be aggravating, is, when, is the it? Thank is, God. The test is when you aggravate a lot of people, and then if it does become unlawful. Really? Is aggravating against the law? What section of the criminal code? Sir, everybody's upset. We don't need a quiz on the sidewalk. Clearly, well, we're, we're going to talk. If you're going to arrest me, go ahead and arrest me. No, seriously, go ahead and arrest me.
here to arrest anybody today. And even if someone breaks the law? Well, if someone, I said, well, we're not here to arrest anyone uh, here today because we have spoken with the group of protesters and they've assured us that they are here to be lawful and they've been, they have been working with us and all we're simply asking so is... So you've been working with them too? I'm sorry? Sure, we work with everybody, sir. Sure, we but you're not working with me, you're asking me to, to leave. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I understand that you have the microphone going, they have the camera going, but I'd really like to communicate this to you, sir, just so that we're, everyone's on the same page. We are here to facilitate everyone's peaceful protest. But then how come you're asking me to leave and not them? Hold on, sir. And everyone's right to their freedom of expression. However, there are some situations where, because of what people may say or do, agitates other people. And all we're asking you to do is to exercise, you are free to say whatever you want, However, all we're asking you to do is just to exercise some good judgment in the sense that please be mindful of the fact that some of these folks are here because they are not happy with some of the, uh, the things that have been uh, talked about on your broadcast. So does that give them more weight with you than someone who is happy? Absolutely not. Isn't that amazing? Does that Incredible. sound familiar? Well, what's what's amazing that you don't don't see in the clip or hear in the clip is the fact that here we have a group of protesters who came to where Ezra Vant works yes, and decided to on protest TV. on the the sidewalk at the at his office. So Ezra Vant, being a media outlet, wants to videotape. And so what the police are saying is somehow Ezra's harassing them yeah. when they decided to come to his workplace to harass him. Well, so that's like me going to the CBC and doing a protest and they say to all the CBC employees, now that Gary McHale's here, you guys all have to leave. Exactly. Like, are you joking? No, Gary, uh, just to clarify, that was Idle No More and Occupy protesters oh, led by January. Sid Ryan. The, the, yeah. the typical unions, yeah. the radical left that show up to all these kind we'll of protests. We'll be hearing protests. more of that shortly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But Incredible. the funny thing is, a police officer said to him, he said, the other, the group there has assured us they'll be lawful. Well, if they're, they've assured them of that, why are they coming after Ezra still if they're going to be lawful? Yeah. Well, because the left have, have learned that if they act upset, they know full well that the police will then go around and target the other side and say, see, you're upsetting them. And so we better remove you because the people who came to protest you are getting upset. Well, well almost they, sounds like the Rob Ford situation. They, yeah. they know exactly. <laughs> they know they, they have it written out by script. Yeah. As soon as you show up, uh, they'll start screaming and yelling. The cops will say, "Well, see, if you hadn't shown up, they wouldn't be screaming and yelling." No, that's why they're here. What's really amazing is, uh, first of all, it sounds exactly <laughs> like the dialogue in Caledonia. Mm -hmm. When we submitted uh, human rights complaints to the Human Rights Commission that are still ongoing uh, since 2007, uh, the OPP was forced to respond to our allegations. This was after we were arrested for trying to put up Canadian flags the first time. And they actually put as their part of their defense um, that they were actually trying, there were people that wanted to do us harm. So that was the reason they put up the flag because they didn't want to aggravate those mm -hmm. people. Well, now, and speaking of arresting, I don't, fortunately, I don't have a lot of experience with being arrested myself, <laughs> but um, it's so strange. This They've arrested you guys so many times, but never resulted in charges. No, I've been, charged, I've been charged three times, oh, prosecuted okay. three times, but not a single case was ever made at the trial. Right, well, but they have this fake um, thing to arrest you on, which is breach of the peace, is it? Well, the, a breach of peace is normally, the, I mean, it's allowed in the criminal code. Normally, okay. let's say you show up, you're a police officer, you show up to a domestic dispute at a house, and no one's committed any crime yet, but the, the husband and wife are screaming and yelling at each other. Yeah. The only way a cop can actually physically put his hands on you, because uh, putting your hands on someone is an assault, they have to arrest you, right. physically move you 20 feet away, unarrest you, oh. and that's called to prevent a breach. 
And so that's where it's used in society is is to try to to lower the tension when there's a clear example of two people who could get violent. But, but they use it constantly yeah. on only on one side though. Right. Only and on I, one side. And I was going to say I mean I know that that doesn't necessarily go on your record being arrested like that and certainly you're doing it for a specific reason but that's beside the point it still is damaging to a person isn't it well their reputation well most people i mean uh, julian fantino i mean one of the emails are in the book that uh that I quote from is he sent out an email to his officers telling them to overlook legal nuances, whatever that means. Uh, tell he told his officers to uh, not pay attention to the timid and feeble crown. In other words, don't pay attention to the lawyers. And he says even if the courts disagree with us on what he wants to do, which is arrest me, right. he, we can still do this as a way of publicly uh, showing him as a troublemaker. So the goal of Fantino, as commissioner of the OPP, wasn't to char- arrest people because he thought they committed a crime right. or to get a conviction because he th- thinks it's better for society, but to use the court system as a way to demonstrate who are the bad people in society. Because yeah. most people, if you hear someone, well, the police have arrested them, it's an assumption. We all say yeah. you're innocent until proven guilty, yeah. but let's face it. Yeah. For most of us, yeah. if you hear someone's been arrested, you don't think they're innocent well because only bad people get arrested well it's it's uh it's funny you know we christine christine are you gonna say something yeah i was gonna say the thing that that really really comes out on this and it is actually now spreading not just outside of caledonia but it is spreading outside of ontario i mean you think about the sun news reporter in frederick in new brunswick who shows up to do what his job his job to videotape what's going on Mm -hmm. and who is it that that the police target it's him telling him to move, move back a bit, all right? He wasn't doing anything wrong. They had no right to tell him what they told him, but there they are doing it. But what it is, you know, in Caledonia, and when they were dealing with Ezra, when they're dealing with the Sun News camera guy out in New Brunswick and that, they target the people that they know will offer no resistance, none. And, and I mean, I was arrested once taken away, my hands were handcuffed behind my back, was taken up to the paddy wagon, and then they took the handcuffs off and re-handcuffed me uh, with my hands in front. And you know, I'm looking at the, the, the officer that's doing that, and I say to her, you know we're never going to harm you, right? She goes, we absolutely know you will give us no trouble at all. Incredible. That's why they target us. Right. It's really, it's really amazing. We've had as many as eleven people uh, line up to be arrested and hold out their hands and say, "Okay, take me." And it's really great. And uh, we're singing, "We shall overcome" in the paddy wagon. It's, uh, it really changes the message. And uh, I, you know, I was asked going across the border, "Have you ever been arrested?" I said, "Well, hang on a second. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why well, I told you. Them. I was arrested. Uh, well, let's see. I've been arrested uh, five times in the last five years. And have you heard of Caledonia? And of course." Uh, a lot of these border guards, they know what happened in Caledonia. They know that the police refused to enforce the law. They also know but that. But what they, if they hadn't? But they, they also know that the Canadian government refused to help prosecute one of them who had attacked that Amer- American citizen. So Gary went down and helped them. Yeah. So uh, I thought, okay, well, I guess I'm going back to Canada. No, that's okay, thanks. Yeah, well, see, that's what I find interesting is that all these arrests 
they will damage a person as far as their reputation, or they could impact them some way. So the fact that you guys were doing this... Uh, well, it's, it's used in other courtrooms. What happens is right, the, because, the, government, tell, the government will then pr- bring that up as part of your record whenever right. they're dealing with you in court. On a different case where right. you're where they finally do come up with a charge, the right. officer will stand up and quote all these other examples as, right. as all and the other becomes, times you've been a bad person. We just right. didn't it have enough evidence. It becomes useful in the narrative that Fantino and others Absolutely. spread about and that, you. And that's key. All the book shows how they, they make a willful effort yeah. to actually defame people. Uh, not because, And they know full well. No crimes have been committed. Right. And we're not about to commit a crime. But they want to silence. See, mm-hmm. and even that clip with Ezra, she's not interested in the Charter of Rights. Because in Canada, let's face it, the Charter of Rights means nothing. The cops don't care. Because wh- what's going to happen? If you violate someone's Charter of Rights, the worst case scenario, you're going to get sued. Well, they don't have to pay for the lawyer. It's going to be covered mm-hmm. for them by taxpayers. And if they end up losing money, who pays the, the lawsuit? Taxpayers. Right. There is absolutely nothing to prevent a cop from violating the Charter of Rights because they know there's no bearing on them. None. And this is why what Gary did in becoming an, an expert and, and really uh, in, in the area of private prosecutions, um, you know, here's a guy with no legal training, uh, no legal representation, and he's won at every level of court in Ontario up to and including the Court of Appeal. And these cases are being cited across Canada right now. Um, and, and they are afraid of criminal prosecutions. That's oh, incredible. Well, we want to move on to the whole policing situation after our bottom of the hour break. Again from January of this year, coming up here is Ezra Levant on the Idle No More protest, which contained a comment. I just couldn't resist turning into our first smile break for the morning. So we'll take a break right now and we'll return right after this. I've been talking about Idle No More for more than two weeks. Well, this Saturday, Idle No More decided to talk to me. Literally, their organizers announced a protest right outside here at the Sun offices, specifically to challenge my coverage of Indian Affairs. Well, they phrased it a little differently. They were going to call out my racism. Now, I learned about this from that famous Indian band, the Ontario Federation of Labour. That was a tweet we just showed you by Sid Ryan, Chief Shouts with a fist. He speaks a First Nations dialect that sounds remarkably like an Irish accent. <laughs> Seriously, a far-left labor union was using its members' dues to promote this protest. It was about as Indian as when Cher dressed up as a sexy Pocahontas, which is to say not really Indian at all. And now tripping uh, merrily backward through time, the Laugh-In News takes you back to early Virginia, the home of Mr. and Mrs. John Smith. She's the former Pocahontas. Take it away, Dan Rowan, our man in the past. Well, it's been a few years, John Smith, since they had your head on the chopping block. How you been getting along? Real fine, Dan. Real fine here at the reservation, you know. As a matter of fact, the Indians even have a little name for me now. Oh, really? Yeah, they call me Running Chicken. <laughs> When'd you get that name? Uh, right after they put my head on that chopping block. <laughs> and Pocahontas? Yes, I do. <laughs> you did a very brave thing, throwing yourself in front of John before he was hit with the club wasn't brave. It was dumb. Oh, well. See, she took the brunt of the blow. I see. It still hurts when it rains. Yeah. What line are you in, John? I'm with the National Navajo now. It's uh, communications. Uh, We make smoke signals and wet blankets and so forth. Right now, we're working on a huge signal. See, and we're going to float it right over L.A. and then just kind of leave it there forever. Yeah, uh, that's a position of some importance, isn't it? Top of the totem pole. (laughs) Local joke, Dan. Yes. (laughs) My father put him in the business. Oh, how is your father? Oh, he's fine. He's uh, on vacation. Oh, really? Yeah. Enjoying himself? No, not too much. You see, he couldn't get a room. Didn't have a reservation. 
That's another local joke. <laughs> Sweetheart. Pokey. And well, I'm... if you can do them, I can... What? Yes, it's all right. I hate to break you up. You're such a fun couple. But I... What's going on in this precinct of yours, Barney? You deputizing citizens? Oh, yeah, we have had a few incidents. Yeah. Incidents? You got some crazy kookaboo running around out there with a loaded gun doing your job. We're working on it, Inspector. Yeah, yeah, and I know how you're working on it, too. You're conducting seminars for the underprivileged, the misunderstood. Love thy neighbor, cooperate with the law. Barney, that's all a lot of bourgeois. <laughs> each have our own method. I know. You talk to people. You, you, you get involved with them. I, I read your reports. I just don't believe in running around kicking tails. I think you get more accomplished by talking to people. Poppycock! Ah, ah, my old racket squad, you stop right out of here. You know, right out of this precinct. Busted a lot of heads pretty good in them days, Barney. Kept them hoodlums out of this precinct. But you, you, Barney, you, you're getting the worst reputation in town. People like you. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, that ain't just idle gossip, neither. I seen it. I seen it with my own eyes. These people walked up the aisle, Barney. What the hell is that aisle, Barney? What, are you some kind of playboy bunny, bunny? Oh, oh, oh. Yes, sir, Captain Miller. That's the way you talk to a cop. That's respect. Just don't have the benefit of your personality, Inspector. Yeah, take a look at that, huh? Remember the hands of a cop? Look at that broken, twisted, bruised, chipped. Yeah? You, Bonnie, you got the hands of a... Well, what a distinction between the hands of a cop and the hands of a law enforcement officer. If you're just joining us, our in-studio guests, to discuss victory in the no-go zone are Gary McHale and Mark Vandermassen on the line. And joining us also is Christine McHale. So, the book is called Victory in the No-Go Zone. What did you win? Whose victory was it? And who lost? Well, the, the number one tactic the OPP had was to, in a way of targeting non-natives, because the natives were allowed to virtually do anything they wanted in town. So the only way to stop average residents from being able to speak out is the OPP came up with different tactics. Finally, they came up with this idea of creating no-go zone. Uh, they knew we weren't going to break any laws, so what happens if you walk down the road carrying a Canadian flag, all of a sudden a van would pull up, the cops would jump out and declare a no-go zone, and because you're in it, you're under arrest. Uh, that's how they worked. And they did that uh, for several years. It took us uh, probably a dozen rallies, uh, four years, before we got the first Canadian flag put up on a hydro, power, uh, hydro tower uh, pole. Sorry. And so that's how the OPP did this. So they constantly created these uh, no non-native zones because the natives were allowed in those areas. And we're talking about just walking down the main road in a town. And all of a sudden... Uh, out of the blue, the police would declare it to be a no-go zone. And we just kept saying, okay, you're going to do that? Well, we're just going to keep walking and keep doing this rally after rally. 
until we establish that we have rights. And it's interesting that the victory really comes from uh, in December of 2010, uh, we all, the eight of us got arrested for trespassing while walking on a road. Now, you can't be trespassing for walking on a road, okay? Uh, and so, but the officer arrested one of us after another, and they finally had to throw out all the tickets. They actually issued tickets and forced us to go to court. That officer who arrested us, uh, Sergeant Ben Gutenberg, a year later, the Crown actually subpoenas him to bring him into court to testify uh, against a Native person who had committed assault that we actually had the legal right to walk down the very road that he arrested all eight of us on. <laughs> so the officers have been forced to admit that what they're doing is wrong. They've been forced to admit that we have rights to walk down the road. We have rights to speak out. Everything that we th we think is cherished and, and automatic in this country, it truly isn't. Once the government and the police decide you don't have rights, you don't have them. They're just not going to uphold your rights. And what we did is con constantly do the same thing until they were forced to acknowledge we had these rights. And that's where the victory comes in. And it appears they do it very selectively as far as deciding who has rights and in what circumstances. Well, it was interesting. We were, we were stopped from walking down the road, and yet uh, the natives can hold a rally. You can have mm -hmm. the Communist Party of uh, Canada show up with big banners. you got all the different unions showing up with their banners. They're all allowed to walk down the very road that we can't walk down. And they can walk on to the uh, Douglas Creek Estates, which is owned by the province now. Is, is and they have all these banners. I mean, like I'm mm -hmm. saying, the Communist Party of Canada. But we can't do it? Mm -hmm. It's really weird, you know, because it almost seems to be, as I'm observing, not just with this, but with many cases, even the cheerleader case here in the city recently, mm -hmm. where everybody was wondering why the police arrested some cheerleaders who were cheerleading for homecoming here at UWO. And... And the police were saying it's, it, it wasn't about the cheerleading, it was about the crowd they were attracting. Mm -hmm. And that they had apparently 3,000 people. And I think the police have, have if, if not spoken to us directly, they seem to have an unspoken policy that treats all situations where any individual is rousing up a crowd, which ironically is, is really the purpose of freedom of speech when you're trying to get people to, to get roused yeah. up about something, right? Mm -hmm. um, to 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 prevent that from happening in certain areas is 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 am I over looking at that or is it just these narrow issues that they seem to be focusing on? Well, that uh, that one I think they're just trying whatever makes it easy for them to deal with. Yes, it's like uh, the on these other thing too. Right on these other issues, it's more political correctness. They they can't use these policies against a native protester, even if the fact that uh, the native protester may be carrying a weapon or or masked and uh, have a baseball bat in their hand, they're not even going to arrest them for committing crimes. So when it, when it deals with political correct groups. The police clearly have a policy. What we're going to do is make sure that the average citizen is silent so that the rest of Canada doesn't get to learn that they're letting people away with crimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the the clear sign of the victory, um, there are a couple of signs. Number one, we did a protest in 2012, right at the gates of this no-go zone, where where er, the whole town, none of the town was was frightened to go. We all we sat in lawn chairs with our backs to the police and the and the small group of natives that that uh, that militants that are left, and we ordered pizza. Uh, the other sign would be, uh, I think the, you know, when Gary when when they occupied the Enbridge pipeline. Uh, the police, Hamilton police, refused to remove them, forced the company to get a court order, and still wouldn't remove them. 
Gary sent them an email uh, early in the morning that day, basically saying, "Look, either you're going to enforce the law, or we're going to bring come out and, t- and we're going to bring our people. We'll gather the evidence, lay the charges of any police officers get in the way. We could very well arrest them, charge them with obstructing justice." Who did that, he email? Sorry. That was the chief of Hamilton Police, okay. and the occupation's over later that day. And Brian Lilly is quoted in the book from one of his monologues saying, uh, "This wasn't a coincidence." And finally, the last sign that I think we've completely changed the narrative, and I think. I, I think what Gary did in leading this and what we did in Caledonia has a, has a large part to do with this. Because what he did is he took the story outside of Caledonia to the national media with the various protests that we did. And um, with the New Brunswick protests, with all the violence, yes, there, somebody said to me, well, you guys haven't really had a victory. There's this violence in New Brunswick. I said, you don't understand. There's always going to be violence. But what's different in New Brunswick now is that nobody in the country is buying it mm. and buying their nonsensical arguments that somehow natives should have the right to victimize innocent people and attack police officers. Good point. And I think those are some of the victories, but I think the greatest victory is we're given hope. You know, it's interesting. It's almost as if the way the police are acting is giving the native groups themselves a bad reputation. Yeah. Of course. In, in a way that they're being allowed to get away with things that most of us cannot, and therefore that rubs off on them. So going in our final stretch here as, as we start leading into a discussion maybe of a solution or proper direction to turn with regard to the whole native situation, I thought it might be refreshing to hear a couple of aboriginal voices who are kind of perfectly rational and have some points of view. These are both from British Columbia bands and with whom we had direct connection. This was recorded back at UWO right here in the year 2000 and it was part of the International Society for Individual Liberties week-long conference and a bunch of uh, groups of native people from all over the country came to speak in panels. And so um, the first voice we're going to hear in this next clip, and I wanted you guys to comment on it afterwards, is that of Freedom Party executive member Wayne Simmons, whose question directed at the Aboriginal panel is responded to on this side of the bumper by Chief Alfie, re- representing a band from B.C., and Chief Alfie, uh, he was just a wonderful guy, friendly, soft-spoken man, who totally rejected uh, the welfare state native reservation segregation concept, right? And those comments we've played on a previous broadcast of our show. And on the other side of the bumper is uh, is responded to by uh, another outspoken Aboriginal representative whose name is Megan Walker, though not in any way related to our own notorious London-based feminist of the same name. So here's that exchange. Thank you. Um, I like a lot of what you have to say, Alfred. Um, I really... It's great to see that uh, you don't want to be a victim of welfare and um, and the kind of uh, the victim status that puts you in and and um, I, I I commend you and on that stance. Um, I'm kind of troubled by the language though. I think language is very important. I think there is an inexorable connection between using words like we and 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 uh, uh, this collective notion of Indian blood as if Indians. I'm a white man, but no white man in this room, as far as I'm concerned, has anything to do with me or, or a friend of mine unless he is appealing to my mind and the ideas and the values I hold. So there's a bit of collectivism when I, I have a bit of a problem with. Um, and I think there's an inexorable connection between that and treating people as if they were uh, owned by you. Thank you. And can you respond? I, uh, Thanks. I... I, I need to take you back to um, a presentation that was made on our first day um, uh, by 
by Stefan and, and you know, by, by the very nature, whether you like it or not, by the very nature of your association together and the common beliefs that you hold, uh, you are too a, a group of people. But you voluntarily have decided to, to unite on, on, on ideas. Now for one reason or other, we find ourselves in that position. You, you do the same things too that, that were, were illustrated in, in the presentation the other day uh, when, there's, when there's a conflict. So I, I, I thought it was kind of funny because uh, uh, I instinctively did what he said. I started identifying my brothers and sisters in here. And that's, so if you think that you were trying to get to know Alfie, I was trying to get to know you and identifying different ones of you as my family so that if I needed you, you would stand up and support me. Megan, did you have a quick comment on that? Just, just a very quick one. There is a huge amount of damage that has been done by the philosophy of the left and the right um, with regards to First Nations people. That's why I'm in a really unique situation, being uh, trained in classical liberal thought um, and being able to present these libertarian ideas to uh, my First Nations leaders and people in a way that's not offensive to them and being able to uh, explain First Nations concepts to the libertarians in a way that's not offensive to the libertarians. Um, the fact of the matter is, um, uh, for a well, uh, in, in Canada, I, you know, morally, philosophically, 100%, I agree with you. Um, I'm not a collective. I'm not in a collective. This is not some sort of Borg mentality. But the fact is, there's a piece of legislation that up until uh, um, uh, 20 years ago, or, sorry, up until 1920, defined that a person was anybody in Canada other than an Indian. And so um, this, is a, this is a very important point that you're making. We really do have to get beyond language and, and figure out where we're coming from and talking. And don't just assume when someone says something that they're coming from a collectivist mentality. We are struggling to make a bridge here. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very difficult. So... If, uh, I appreciate your comments and Mary. Very interesting comments. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just wondering, within your own sphere of experience, is there a spirit of individualism within the Native communities that you've encountered? <coughs> at, at one level, there is. There's a lot of, uh, there's so many division within, let's say, I'm dealing with Six Nations in sure. Caledonia. They, in, in the public image, they say they, they are all one group. Right. Matter of fact, every time a single a single native speaks out, the media will say they're a spokesperson for Six Nations. <laughs> That'd be like saying the media puts a mic in my face and say you're a spokesperson for Canada. We would never do that, but we as non-native people treat them as if they're a collective, and and they cater to that too because they all like to say we're a spokesperson for Six Nations. No, that's interesting you say that because that's one of your five myths that threaten the rule of law, and that is that. Canada stole the land from Six Nations and violated their treaty rights. And you say the truth is that the people of Six Nations are not First Nations citizens in Canada, nor does Canada have any signed treaties with them, nor were they indigenous to Canada. They originally came from the U.S., where they were dispossessed of their land after the Revolutionary War. 
Yeah, they helped Canada during the uh, Revolutionary War. And Canada rewarded them by giving them uh, roughly a million acres in, uh, in Ontario. Uh, so they're not native to Canada. They're, they're residents from New York State and further south. Uh, you know, I actually gave an official presentation on uh, Aboriginal um, issues where I, where I promoted... Um, private property rights to solve a lot of the, mm-hmm. the problems Which on the Ezra reserve. Which talks a yes. lot about. And um, I was giving this official presentation to a government committee. This would have been back in the 90s. And when I told, brought up the same point, I was censured. <laughs> you are not allowed to say that Native people could be quote, quote, unquote, immigrants in any way. Because apparently they didn't recognize our borders, so they couldn't be an immigrant by definition of some sort. And that was that was... That was part of the official framework in which we had to work it within. Well, the word indigenous becomes very important to Mm. the narrative, doesn't it? Well, all these words do. Well, we get get to work with reality, fortunately. Mm -hmm. um, You guys are indigent, (laughs) and they're indigenous. What a difference a few letters make. But I'm really glad you brought up the issue of Aboriginal voices, because from the beginning... And it was—it's never been reported in the media. Um, we we recognize that Native people are victims of two-tier justice, mm-hmm. two-tier policing too. Um, in Ipperwash, um, the original occupiers were too afraid to go onto the occupation site. It was their own—they they launched this lawless occupation, and then they were surprised when it got so violent, even they didn't want to go on. And when they spoke to the media, some of them had their houses burned down. In Caledonia, uh, the former chief actually stated that that uh, the Douglas Creek estates is not sacred because there were two rapes on that site there have been uh, vi- gun violence on there where the police traded by who by natives against huh? natives native on native violence okay. uh, gun violence assaults drug use everything and um so i i spoke out about that i mean i gave a speech in 2007 the whole speech was about how native people are, are victims of two-tier policing as well and they're victims of of low expectations i mean you can imagine if you start teaching um you know if, if young children you know, young kids native kids are watching the police let them get away with ever increasingly more violent acts and then till finally they do something that is so dreadful like uh, like a serious assault on somebody that that the police even our police can't ignore anymore they end up in jail and i i'm of the opinion that that's a large reason why you have aboriginal people in jail as well because we, we don't we don't treat them we, we don't insist that they honor the law and stop them before they get to committing serious yeah, crimes yeah go ahead christine we should also remember that some of the biggest reserves uh, in Ontario, Quebec, down in um, Aquasasne, Kanawaki, and Kanasataki, they've had a huge problem down there as well with the more militant natives actually kicking other natives off the reserve because, and quote-unquote, well, they're not our kind of natives. Hmm. Right? And, and, and let's not forget native women in Canada don't have marital status. Yes. This is one thing that the Harper government is trying to fix, and and a lot of the the native status quo don't want it fixed. But you know, a native woman, if if she's uh, divorced, if she ends up in a divorce, um, her husband can have her kicked out of the community. She can't have any access to the children in that. I, I mean, could you imagine a non-Native woman having no status? Yeah, that would... Well, that, oh, that sounds just like the conditions that we just heard Megan Walker complaining about up in Canada until the 1920s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so the irony is the women living in these reservations now have the same lack of rights. Yes. That, by the way, that all women had till the 1920s, if you want to be quite accurate about that. And, 
Well, we, see, we've codified some of this. Like, if you mm-hmm. look into the criminal code, you won't find the phrase white people or black or no, Baptist, not. Jews, but you will find Aboriginal. And the Supreme Court of Canada has come down with several rulings, uh, including one this year where there was a, a Native person who uh, had committed uh, a, a couple of rapes and was very violent. And the court uh, lessened his sentence simply because he's Aboriginal. Now, the problem is, it, you know, first of all, we shouldn't have two different kinds of sentencing based on your yeah. skin color. Second of all, what community do you think he's going to go back to? If we really do care about these communities, then why are we uh, given less sentences for violent criminals so they can go back in the same communities and commit crimes? Against uh, Native people. Against Native people. It doesn't make sense And, at and all. think of the, li- the liberal long gun registry. Okay, it was supposed to save women lives, but does anyone realize that they actually built right in the law they exempted native people? So then they not care about native women's lives? Like we do this constantly in this country, where we have this double standard simply because we want to say it's Aboriginal, and and we have to bring it to an end because the solution has to be that everyone should be equal. My uh, concern, though, Gary, is that it's a lot of the um, you know how we often use the word official, the term official Jew or official Islam. Is it not the official Aboriginals who are pressuring the government to make these stupid? Well, what, it, what's happening? it is. Well, there's two things. They 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 all want to complain about the Indian Act, which is what mm-hmm. they you know created the status native where they don't have property rights and all that. That law is still here. So officially in public, they'll say, "See, that's a, a form of apartheid," and it actually is. Mm-hmm. But it's actually the very form that gives all the money that comes from the government yes. to the various native chiefs. So do they really want to get rid of it? Right. Every time the government talks about it, and believe, believe it or not, it was actually uh, Trudeau back in 69 with the, the White Papers, where he wanted to scrap the Indian Act. Well, who were against it? The very native chiefs. Because why? Because we don't actually want to start sending checks to individual <laughs> people, just like we do with CPP and everything else. Can uh, you imagine if all checks, geez. all your checks went to uh, Rob Ford in, in Toronto, and then he distributed the money out to people? Well, that's how it's done, I know. Okay, yeah. but that's what happens on a reserve. And no, there's not a, none of those chiefs want to cut off their money. And so they don't want to get, they publicly they say we're against the Indian Act, but they're not really against it. Well, do you think, though, that the people in the community have a sense of that? Do they, are they aware of that? Yeah, the problem is, though, most jobs in the community, you got to work for the band council. Mm. So your welfare checks come from the band council, everything that happens. You can be kicked off a reserve by the chiefs. So what person... You know, even though we say we have a democratic society, what person, imagine if if any mayor had that kind of power. Mm -hmm. Nobody would speak out. And so the average Native person, I believe, and you see see parts of it in Sun TV reporting it, but the average Native person knows that this is seriously flawed. Well, you know, but you can't speak out. I was just going to say quickly, uh, there are some courageous voices. On Six Nations, there's a, there's a counselor named Helen Miller, and she's written several letters and an editorial in which she, can, she says, we have to stop blaming white people for our problems. And think, the other thing she does is she, she names every uh, radical group that was involved in Caledonia in terrorizing the, the area and the illegal occupations, and she says they don't speak for Six Nations. And I think what Gary McHale's idea, he did didn't go in and target native people. Um, he targeted the police, but in the process, we also drove a wedge between the violent radicals on Six Nations uh, and the good people of Six Nations, and I think that's important. Yeah. Absolutely. Our, that's another The victory. hours rolled by, believe it or not. Just want to remind our listeners again that they can join you this evening between 4, this afternoon actually, between 4 and 6 p.m. at... Um, 
uh, where is it? Chapters at um, 1037 Wellington Road. So check it out for the book, Victory in the No-Go Zone. So is it over? Or you still got more problems ahead? There's always going to be more problems. Well, you always got to be fighting for freedom. It's never <laughs> free. Well, thanks to all our guests for joining us today, and we've got to go for another week as we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the it was interesting, though. I, uh, I learned some interesting things. You know, I've actually come close to one of the uh, Lord Savior's accomplishments, far be for me to even compare. But I learned in church that day that Jesus turned water into wine. Okay, I've never done that, but I was in university. I turned a student loan into alcohol. So that's what it is. Thank you. Applauding my disease. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding about that uh, status Indian. I didn't need a student loan. Anyways, I... Uh... <laughs>